Let's be honest. As much as you love your kids, sometimes being a parent can grind you down. And in some instances, it even triggers depression and anxiety. So what can you do to ensure that you're staying on top of your mental health? Maybe a part of staying on top of your mental health is making time to spend with your partner. To do that, you're going to need someone to look after the kid. What's the best way to go about introducing your kid to someone who's going to look after them? Dr. Justin Colson is here today to help us out with both of these problems. All that and more on the way today on Dad Pod. You might hear some ads here. If you do, thanks. You're helping us keep the lights on. If not, we're going to play some fun music. This is Dad Pod. I'm Osher Ginsberg. That's Charlie Clawson. Hey, Charlie. Hello. This is a podcast made by dads for dads who don't want to be shit dads. That's the short version. Correct. We've been here since 2019 from before when our youngest kids were born. And uh, mm. we've been on this adventure together, you and I. There's heaps of other episodes. You know, it's fun listening back to those early shows when we were <laughs> sleeping, going on baby moons. Remember those times, yeah. Charlie? Yeah, it's a distant memory. I mean, it is like it, that was pre-COVID time. It was. You know, that's kind of before the Australia caught on fire. <laughs> We're like, how great! It's amazing. Everything's amazing. What do they call it in, in Thunderdome? What do the kids talk about before the big? I can't remember the, the big before the pocky clips. The pocky clips. Yeah, before the pocky clips. <laughs> oh man, it is so much has happened. It's funny. Like I, I was um, catching up with a friend in in Sydney. A dad uh, has got three kids. We're just talking specifically about parenting, and I said, I just, you know, I sort of feel like I'm going to need to speak to someone. I feel like it's it's things are getting me down. Like, yeah. you know, I feel I can. I've got the racing thoughts and looping thoughts, uh, and yeah. getting stuck in this like negative thought cycle. And I said, you know, I just logically I know that things are fine, and you know, happy marriage. You know, love my family, career's going fine, everything's good. But there's this thing that's weighing down on me. And he said, yeah, but. He said, it's not just the parenting. He's like, you know, we've lived through like a, you know, once in a century, like or a 500-year pandemic. You've also lived to, through two significant flood events. Like there's a lot of stuff that's sort of been building on top of you. There's also like economic anxiety, climate anxiety. You can't buy a head of lettuce anymore. So don't like disregard all this stuff. And that's kind of where I sort of find myself at the moment, Osh, is like, I was getting to a point where, you know, I've had enough experience with uh, generalized anxiety disorder to know what the red flags yeah. are, you know, like I said, just the looping thoughts, inability to sleep, all that mm. kind of stuff, and, and and really feeling kind of shit about myself. And I think the, a lot of it was, you know, just sort of based around like lack of self-worth. And, you know, that's what it always comes down to with me. It's like when you cherry pick information to find where is the negative reinforcement in this? Where is the negative reinforcement? How can I make myself right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, like it's this battle between the logical part of your brain and the emotional part of your brain because the logical part of my brain is like, of course things are going fine. And, you know, of course, like, you know, your kid loves you and stuff. But my brain would pick out the negative in that and then mm. fixate on that, which is like, you know, there is a rejection here or that yeah. things aren't progressing fast enough or that, you know, there's other parents who are doing things better. And, yeah. and and it just sort of built to a point, not to crisis point, but enough that, you know, talking to Jem, I was like, okay, I think I can see where this is going. I, I need to go 
talk to someone. And so I did check in with the GP and had my mental health plan uh, worked out by a doctor who looked like one of the dudes from Lonely Island, his Hawaiian shirt, mullet. Like he's younger than me, which is always like disconcerting when you talk to cops or doctors who are younger than you. Charlie, it was Uh, okay. Like there was a time when all the cricketers were older than me. And then there was a point when some of the cricketers were around my age. Then some of the cricketers, barely one of the cricketers was around my age. And then now I'm older than even the umpires and the commentators. <laughs> like, it just happens. And that just contributes to the depression and yeah. anxiety. The psychiatrist that really saved my my, my day, the, the psychiatrist that really, really swung in through the window on a rope, made a bed sheet with a dagger between his teeth and really helped me. I sat down in his chair and I was like, fuck, you're like 10 years younger than me. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> and you're fucking hell. And he's really good, but I, dude, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Yeah. But bloody good on you for for noticing that, because if you're not aware that those distortions are taking place, if you're not aware that your brain's playing these really, really cruel tricks on you, it feels mm. real, and it feels yeah. like you're always being rejected, and no one actually likes you, and everything's getting worse, and it will always be this way, and it's only happening to you, and it feels completely real, but it isn't. And, but mm. understanding that is such a huge thing, but that's because you've been through it before and you know yeah. those red flags and you talk to your wife about it and you took action and that's such an important thing to do. Well, it's little things too. Like, I mean, obviously there's the taking action on it, but it's also working out, you know, I know myself and I know that I respond really well to a structured environment, you know, working mm. to deadlines, having goals. And I think the role of being a parent, there is no finish line <laughs> you know like it's not yeah. like you know i get yeah, Ayana yeah, to a certain point oh you know she gets to the next level of daycare i get a gold star like it's this ongoing yeah. process and i don't know if you've been listening to tofot this year at all but yeah. i sort of developed this strange obsession with the boy band five <laughs> and yes I didn't where know, is jay from five where is yeah he? where is jay from five and i couldn't work out where it's coming from and then talking to claire tonti and she was like oh yeah i talked to a, a lot of mums about what you're going through this is an identity crisis because you've moved from you were you're one person prior to being a, a dad and now you're this other person and you don't know who you are anymore and all those indicators and markers that you used to have you defined yourself by your career or you defined yourself by your friendship groups all those things yeah. are no longer easily accessible to you so it makes sense that you are retreating back to a time the late 90s <laughs> when you last felt like the world was in front of you and 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 and, and you know it, it was it's this kind of like brain bleach nostalgia comfort. I mean, I never really, I don't like the music of Five. I never listened to Five in the 90s, but it's more about who was I back when this was the dominant kind of form of music. And so what that has led me to realize is, okay, I'm feeling like I haven't got an identity. I'm feeling unstructured. I need to go back to setting myself small goals. And it's really little things like, you know, exercise goals. Okay, I'm doing this like weights program. So I'm going to make sure that I do this at least five days a week. Have you put a a time limit on your weights program? Have you like got a- a structure yeah. on it? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's actual goals. There's certain things I have to meet, you know, within a week. There's also like things like this script that I'm working on. I, I, it sort of let it fall to the wayside. And that was another thing that was eating away at me. You're no good. You're lazy. You're not doing enough work. And then I had lunch with a friend, another writer who was like, look, first of all, that's completely normal for a writer to go through that period of self-doubt. But secondly, just set yourself easily achievable Get some cheap dopamine, you know, set yourself a goal that you know you're going to hit. And then if you hit that goal and you get a bit of momentum, then you can go a bit further. And I've got to say, even in the last two weeks, just that simple mind shift of, okay, sure, 
predominantly a dad. That's my my main role at the moment. I'm going to do the best I can with with all yeah. of that. But I just need to create these little havens for myself outside of being a dad that makes me feel like I have some purpose and identity so I can stop listening to five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but we, are we talking like, because you you are, where we, we live in kind of opposite ends of the spectrum sometimes, Charlie, and that you are pretty much the primary carer mm. for Iona. You work from home, you have a, you know, busy podcasting and writing life uh, and a career that's successful there, and you're trying to keep that moving at the same time as being the primary carer for a, to, a toddler who mm. we all know, if you take them eyes off them for half a second, they'll stick their hand in a blender. You got to yep. be, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to get anything done. Mm. So what you're describing is probably resonating with other dads listening, going, oh, yeah, I can see my partner going through that. Yeah. But if anything, your partner will be like, well, when do I have fucking time to work out? When do I have fucking time to to, to do whatever these things? Like your partner will be like, I've got laundry and dishes and shit to do. So what kind of things, like how much time are we talking here, Charlie? What are you doing? Like how much time are your day does it take? Half an hour. Like literally, really? you, you don't need that much time. I mean, look, the writing is a bit different. I, that's a nighttime activity once everyone's gone to bed and the house is quiet. You know, that's more of an indulgent thing. But the exercise thing, you know, Gem will either give me a chop out, you can go to the gym now, or daycare is a perfect opportunity. But I think it's it doesn't have to be those two. They're, they're, that's just what works for me. But I think it's mm-hmm. really about just goal setting. You know, there's a, I think Yumi put it on her Instagram once about like free dopamine hits and it's like making a list and ticking off, you know, five of those things in a day. And that is your, I mean, if it is as simple as get the kitchen cleaned, you know, get to the shops, have a coffee or whatever it is, at least you feel like you are doing something as opposed to when you're in the midst of full on parenting, you know, especially when you're on your own, it Mm. does feel like this kind of groundhog day where you don't you don't really have any grasp of of the outside world. And it's also good to have community around you as well. Like, yeah. you know, we've been lucky in that we've had family come stay with us in the last couple of weeks. And that's been great because it sort of breaks up the routine and it gets you out of that kind of repetitive behavior. And I, if I'm honest, I have a tendency to kind of not be lazy, but I don't push myself to get out as much as I should. And when you have guests, at least it's an excuse. Well, got to show them around, got to take them to places. Let's do lunch, let's do dinner, all these kind of things. And that's all stuff that Iona can come along for and benefit from. You know, it's great that she's getting to spend time with her granddad and her aunties. I'm so grateful to hear that you not only identified these things, Charlie, but you, you did, that you took action and that that action looks like something that's small and achievable. It's not this gigantic grand thing of like, I'm going to go off and do this wellness cleanse and I'm going to yeah. write the great Australian novel and I'm going to flip a house and I'm going <laughs> to, no, I'm just going to, 20 minutes. That's what I'm going to do, 20 minutes or I'm going to write these, just make a little list and get that feeling that, ah, oh, I did something. Yeah, and, and something outside of, you know, changing nappies, making dinners. Yeah. 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 But that's, oh, mate, I'm grateful to hear that you're on that pathway, mate. That's uh, identifying it's so important. How have things been going in your house? Oh, man, pretty good. Like we've been busy as anything and I'm grateful to work, but that comes at, you know, I'm fucked. I'm so exhausted. And we, we shot up in Queensland for a while. We did a couple of months up there and back down here. And, but when Audrey was working on one of these productions as well up in Queensland, so we needed to find someone that could help out with Wolfie and not just mind him like mum and dad are going to dinner, but do the whole thing, like pick him up from daycare. Like nanny type stuff. Yeah, take him home, hang out with him for a while, get him fed, get him bathed, chill him down, get him to sleep, keep him asleep. And 
you know, we're in, we're up on the Goldie and like, we don't know anybody, mm. we, you know, we had no one. So yeah. brilliantly, like I got so, so, so lucky as our production manager, I was like, oh man, I've got, you know, we're both on this and I'm stuck. I don't know what to do next Thursday. I don't know what to do. She goes, oh, she made a call. And um, we got in touch with a kindy teacher that moonlights, like the childcare version of an off-duty cop, you know, <laughs> she's yeah, yeah. like, you know, and- but That's the perfect one. It was, it was pretty amazing. But then you have the opportunity, then you're like, well, here's a person that Wolf doesn't know. And mm. how are we going to get him cool with the fact that we're going to say goodbye to him at daycare at eight, well, 7.30 in the morning, and he's not going to see us again until he wakes up at 7 the next yeah. day. How do we get him okay with that? And thankfully, Audrey has been through this before with Georgia, and so we actually got two nights before we got her around and she met us after we brought him back from daycare and she just kind of hung out, which is actually pretty cool. She kind of hung out and we had dinner together and then I think she read him a book at bedtime hmm. and they said, okay, now I'm going to go now. Thanks for letting me read your book. Dad's going to come in and finish reading a book. And then, you know, I went and I, and I finished the job. So that meant he kind of knew who it was because I'd, I've never done that before. I mean, that, that's all like the logistics of getting the, the child seat into her car. That's, you know, that was a whole yeah, other yeah. story. Like I dropped off the baby and the baby seat <laughs> at daycare. But thankfully the daycare people were super cool. They were super cool. Uh, I'm sure they would see stuff like that, like all, every kind of arrangement under the sun. Yeah, they told us all. They told us, I don't know what to do. They go, oh, it's easy to drop off the, that, drop the baby seat and they pointed to a corner of the room as like three baby seats. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Then, right. you know? <laughs> and then it's, you know, Luckily, she was cool. She knew how to install the thing. But like for a while there, I was, I was really worried about it. But That's such a relief. It was tricky. We found a directory uh, in our area, which is like a agency for babysitters, I guess. So you pay yeah. them a booking fee and then they will put the call out to their network of registered you know, babysitters mm -hmm. and nannies. And yeah. uh, they came back with a suggestion and the only person who was available, and I looked at this photo, I'm like, how old is this girl? <laughs> like she looks yeah. younger than Iona. But yeah. she was 19. Um, but yeah. she had like a list of qualifications and, you know, done all, all the certifications and everything like that. But it was a yeah. similar thing where we were like, oh, maybe we just don't or one of us can yeah. go and the other one will stay home. And But it was a very similar situation. She came around early and mm. we just hung out and Iona warmed to her pretty quickly and she had brought around some activities and some things for her to do. And so we just watched that sort of acclimatization process happen, which was great. But then- another event's coming up and we've gone to book her and she's not available. And so it's like, oh, fuck, we have to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we have our regular who's awesome. Yeah. She's not available. Then we've got our backup. She's not available. It's like, oh, do we have to do this every single time? And can we rely on the fact that every single time Iona's going to be cool with them? Oh, or you then just say, oh, look, can you just start the premiere at 3 p.m.? Is that yeah. cool? That'd be great. <laughs> and then we'll be the people with a kid on the red carpet and yeah. we'll fuck off after the opening credits. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think this is this is exact stuff that we need to talk to Dr. Justin Colson about. He's the founder mm -hmm. of Happy Families. He'll hopefully be able to tell us if we've been doing the right thing or if we've missed something really, really yeah. big. Yeah. We're going to get to Dr. Justin Colson right after this. Charlie, once again, we are thrilled to have with us an actual, proper, genuine, bona fide expert in dadding, <laughs> being a parent. Not only has he got six kids of his own, he's also a doctor. Dr. Justin Colson is the founder of happyfamilies.com.au, host of the colossal 
colossal podcast, Happy Families. Six books, seventh on the way. He is an uh, absolute wellspring. There's nothing that he doesn't know about bringing up kids. Um, he's got six daughters, and it's great to have you back here, Justin. Really appreciate it, mate. Six kids, uh, I'm guessing, like, when you were uh, the youngest, when the kids were the youngest, looking for babysitters was a little trickier. I'm guessing there were no apps around. There was no kind of friends of friends of friends. How did, how did you go? Are you saying I'm old? Is that is that, that's what I'm hearing? You're saying there were no apps around. There were, you're an old guy. That's yeah, look, the, he's saying the, technology the moves very, very quickly. Message technology was, and now, <laughs> unless you've got Irish sex tuplets, I reckon you, the difference between your youngest and your oldest is fairly wide. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we were too poor, quite frankly, to be able to afford babysitters. All of our holidays were we'd just go and visit the in-laws interstate and stay at their place, and we had to get really creative with the whole babysitting thing. So what we ended right. up doing is, um, n- number one, we didn't go out a lot, which yeah. I think is a reasonable thing to say. If you if, if you've got a brand new baby, young, young parents, yeah. or even older parents. Sometimes it's just good to stay home, look after the baby and accept that your life is going to change for a little while. But eventually we we did want to start to venture out. And so one thing that we found was super helpful, other than relying on in- in-laws where we could, which was minimal, but we accepted it gratefully when we could, uh, was we teamed up with another couple who also had young kids around the same age. Our kids were friends with their kids. And what would happen is like a date night, let's say it was Friday night, keep things simple, on their date night, my wife, Kylie, would go over to their place and look after their kids oh. while I stayed at home with our kids. And then the following Friday, Alina would come over and look after our kids while Sean stayed and looked after their kids and we would go on our date. And so that actually worked out really well. It was a nice little system that made things happen. From time to time, though, we we did have to get babysitters until yeah. our kids were old enough. And when you have six kids, eventually your big kids get big enough to look yeah. after the little kids and you just hope they won't fight and well, get well, through it. We can hope. Great premise for a reality show there, Osh, if you want to you pitch that, Family yeah. Swap. <laughs> be amazing. Because I, I asked this because we, uh, Audrey and I, we both, we both work and and all our in-laws are out of state. So there's no kind of real kind of easy quick fix for that. So when we were, we've just been traveling a bit and it meant introducing Wolfie to new people that would look after him when mum and dad were both working. And we we went okay, but I wonder if we, we could have gone better. Say, for example, what, what's the... What's the language? What's the kind of communication? What's the routine around introducing someone new who's like going to do the whole thing? Like even like pick up from daycare, go like dinner, bath, bed. Like what's the way to bring someone like that into your toddler's life? Yeah. So before we even talk about bringing them in, we need to step back a bit and have a look at our child and and consider the level of experience that they've had with unfamiliar people Mm -hmm. and also consider their temperament, right? So some kids are really easy. They love people. They're outgoing. They're gregarious. They sort of segue from one relationship interaction to the next without any issues at all. Then you've got kids that are slow to warm up. They're the ones that sort of hide behind your legs. They cuddle your knees. Mm. You're standing there talking to the new person. And over the course of two minutes or five minutes or 10 or 15 minutes, they slowly warm up, they open up, they become comfortable, they move into the room, they start to become curious about the other person. And then you've got what researchers call difficult temperament. Now, I want to be really clear here. This does not mean you have a difficult child. It just means that their temperament is one where they, they're tepid at best. In fact, they're, they're going to have a big sook. They're going to be pretty cranky. They don't want to leave you. That's going to be an issue. And temperament is huge. Tied with that is the attachment relationship that they have. And so if they rely on you and they get upset and distressed when you're not in their presence, that's going to 
add a level of complication. So how much are they getting interaction with other people? That's kind of what we're dealing with. How familiar with that are they? When it's time to bring a babysitter in, though, the, the reality is if you're going out, you've been invited to a black tie ball, or maybe you're just catching up with friends because you haven't done it for 18 months and it's time, the reality is you're going to have kids that are upset. Full stop, end of story. And so rather than worrying about how you can prepare your kids for it, because frankly, you're not going to be able to do or say anything that's going to pacify or satisfy a child. They're like, you're going, hang on. And and all of a sudden they're on high alert. Mm. The easier thing to do is just have the new person come into the home, get them in the home, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour Mm. ahead of time and have them see how comfortable you are with them, how familiar you are with them, get them to spend a little bit of time with the kids without being forceful about it, interact, but then move in, move out kind of thing. And then you just give the kids a hug and say, we got to go out. We're going to leave you with Charlie for a little bit and we'll be back soon. And, and that's it. That's kind of all you do. When you've got a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old and you start saying, all right, we're having a big night tonight and tonight's the first night you've been on your own and we're bringing somebody in that you don't know and they're going to be so kind and they're going to have so much fun. I'm scared already just listening to you say that. It <laughs> <laughs> does too much to their brain. It's yeah. too stimulating. It's, it's anxiety-inducing. Low-key is the solution. Low-key is the answer and lots of lots of transition time. The more transition time you've got, the more comfortable it is. I guess it's a real question too. This is the thing that I always battle is like the idea between, because Iona is, is, is very bright and understands a lot of concepts. And so it's the balance between explaining something, preempting something, and just like you're saying, allowing it to happen organically. Because, you know, I'm always aware of not lying to her or saying something and then she feels tricked, like, you know, presenting one thing and then something else happening. But then sometimes Jen yeah, pulls me up because she thinks I'm maybe being too... I'm being too, uh, I'm intellectualizing it too much or articulating too much rather than just allowing her to connect the dots for herself. Please, please understand. I'm not suggesting there should be any deception here. Mm. I'm yes. not suggesting that we spring it on them at the last minute, but rather we just let it evolve. Uh, the friend shows up and the, I mean, your, your kids are smart. They can see that you're getting dressed up. They can see uh, mum's putting on makeup or maybe dad's putting on makeup. You can't get the smiles off your faces. They know something's up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hang on, they're not in track pants. Something's happening. <laughs> it's just a case of saying, mummy and daddy are going to go out soon or we're going to pop out, we'll be back a little bit later yeah. and Charlie is going to be the babysitter tonight and, and give you lots of fun. I reckon there's a couple of other things that you can do though and, and rather than just bailing, if I'm putting my kids in this sort of a situation, I'm going to make sure that number one, I've hired somebody who is experienced, Mm -hmm. who really knows how to deal with things if they go pear-shaped. So just recently, one of my kids was asked to babysit uh, somebody who had gone out. This particular child, well, she's been great looking after our younger kids over the years. She's never had to look after a child that young, Mm -hmm. firstly. And secondly, this particular baby has never been separated from parents while they go out on a date night. It just, it hasn't happened. So my kiddo, after about an an hour and a half of this baby screaming, has given Kylie and I call and said, what do I do? This is not going well. She's not going to sleep. I can't get this sorted out. She just didn't have the experience to know how to work with a child at that age mm-hmm. who is experiencing distress. We're talking 90 minutes of screaming. It's it's a parent's worst nightmare to think that your yeah. babysitter didn't call you and didn't call anyone. And we were only around the corner. Like Kylie would have, or I would have ducked around the corner and given this kiddo a little hug and made things all better. And it would have been fine because with experience, you know how to do that and how to sort things out. So you want to make sure that they've got the experience to manage looking after your child at that age with your child's specific temperament and 
response to being left alone. Second thing is you want to make sure that your child knows that just because you're going out doesn't mean that they're going to have a boring, horrible, awful night with a stranger. So make sure that there's activities that they like to do. I, I reckon change the routine up just a little bit because you've got somebody new in the house and make sure that they've got a, a movie to watch or they've got their favorite treats to eat or the person's got some games that they know how to play with a child, your child's age. Mm. So it becomes an event, it becomes fun and they associate this person with a delightful time even if you're not present. That's a great trick. That's, and, and funny funny you say that because the, the lady that did come and look after Wolfie, brilliant human being, she actually goes, well, I've got something. And she opened up her bag and she pulled out three books that he'd never read. And he was like, what? Hey, you guys go. I've got stuff to <laughs> yes, do. We've got some books so to I get, do. So <laughs> I see what, what she was doing there. She was like, "There's if she puts novelty around the, the experience with her, he goes, oh, yeah. cool. When oh, There's always a surprise. That's re- really helpful, man. I'm really grateful to hear that. Thank you. Too many babysitters just show up and they're like, all right, well, I'm going to plunk myself here on the couch and watch the kid walk around in circles <laughs> and cry because you guys are here and <laughs> aren't here anymore. And yeah. that, that's the difference between having someone who knows how to look after kids and having a a childmind or a babysitter. And the difference is stark and it's important. You need someone who knows how to keep the kids occupied. Now, Justin, uh, six daughters, uh, undoubtedly you've experienced some stress in your time as a parent. (laughs) You're so funny. (laughs) We've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, mental health. I only have the one daughter, but I've noticed over this year, particularly with things happening as a parent, but also outside of being a parent, you know, floods, economic anxiety, uh, climate, uh, impending climate disaster, all this kind of stuff that it's been building. And as someone who has had experience with anxiety before, I've sort of uh, checked in with my GP, got a mental health plan. I'm planning to speak to someone. But in talking to a lot of other parents this year, this discussion has come up a lot about when to recognize when something is regular expected stress of being a parent and when something is building to be something more significant that you need to get help for. So I'm just sort of keen to talk to you about like, how do you recognize what is just regular parental stress and anxiety and when it's something that that is maybe a bit more serious? Charlie, whenever we have a conversation like this, the first thing that I want to do is get really clear on what anxiety is because quite often we pathologize a normal human, a normal and healthy human reaction to uh, stress and challenge in our environment. So from my perspective, I think it's really important that we just get this really clear. So anxiety is a natural, normal, healthy emotion that's characterized by feelings of tension or worry or physical changes like increased blood pressure. And it's in response to a stressful event and it's usually short-lived. So if we consider the natural and short-lived nature of anxiety, if you're going through something and you're apprehensive about the future, you're fearful, worried, or concerned the future is looking ugly, that's anxiety and that's how we've survived as a human species, right? If you have no anxiety near the edge of the cliff, you don't have offspring. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've got to have anxiety because it keeps us alive. The difficulty is when that, that anxiety becomes dysfunctional, when we're experiencing it and it's not in response to a stressful event or mm. the stressful event is waking up in the morning and thinking, should I or shouldn't I get out of bed? That's when it starts to become dysfunctional. It impairs normal human function. So from a parenting perspective, when we're concerned about the welfare, the well-being, the survival of our offspring, right? we've got a, a two-year-old who's in the park and they're climbing up 
the slide the wrong way. Instead of using the ladder, they're going up the slide and the big kids are sliding down and we're thinking, oh my goodness, my two-year-old is going to get absolutely stomped and slaughtered by these four-year-olds. They just don't understand. The four-year-olds need to stop and think. Um, what happens is we start to become terrified as parents yeah. and, mm. and dads are usually a lot. So from a research point of view, um, th- there is a gender difference. On average, dads are significantly less prone to anxiety when it comes to the well-being of their children compared to mums. Mums are much more highly strung, much more anxious around especially the physical safety, but also the emotional safety of their kids. Nevertheless, Mm. dads can still experience anxiety that is not functional. So dads are more likely to say, hey, you know what, kids, take risks, go for it. But quite often, uh, we still get anxious. And maybe we're not even anxious about our kids. Maybe we're anxious about the rest of life. Mm. like work and, I don't know, inflationary costs and all that sort of thing. So job security, all those sorts of things build our anxiety and then we get back into the house. And while our kids aren't making us anxious, the residual anxiety from living life in a fast-paced 2022 where things aren't going quite the way we'd like them to go can lead to us lashing out. So another response that we often have is we get super controlling. So there's a whole lot of research that shows that as our anxiety goes up, we feel like we have to control everything. And guess who's the easiest or what the easiest thing to control is? It's our kids. But the problem is the more we control our kids, the more anxious they become. So there's a positive relationship mm-hmm. between anxiety and control. And, and then the more our kids are controlled, the more anxious they are. And then the more anxious we become because we see their anxiety and we feel like we need to control them even more. And it's a horrible very real paradox of parenting and having children that the more we try to protect our children, the more we weaken our children. Mm. So it's a really, really yeah. hard thing for us to, a hard thing for us to balance. What are some, so you mentioned controlling and you mentioned lashing out. What are some other things that we might be able to self-identify and some things, maybe our partner's telling us that we go, actually, that's, that's not okay. You know, that's, that means I should go and go talk to my doctor. Yeah, so they're going to be the big ones, typically for men as well, right? Because from an emotional point of view, we live in a society that's still, I I know that we're breaking down barriers, we're improving the conversation here, but the stereotype remains that men are, from a functional point of view, emotionally illiterate. And the only emotions that most men still display are frustration and anger and control. That's that's pretty much it. Other than that, we're steady, we're strong, we're silent. We clearly need to do better. And, and we are making small improvements, but there's more to do. So other things that you're looking out for is you're constantly tired. You're on everyone's case. Uh, nobody can do things perfectly except for you. But when you're honest with yourself, you're not doing things perfectly yourself. You start to become, I mean, I mentioned those words before, but I'll use them again, fearful and apprehensive and worried about everything. Mm. You're worried about money and you're worried about getting in the car and going for a drive because not only is it going to cost money, but it's too late and the kids should be at home in bed or I'm going to be late for my thing. And like everything causes us to worry and get stressed. And then we start saying things like, I can't, it's too hard. What's the point? And we see this cascade of psychopathology from anxiety to depression, or we see a reluctance to engage with other people. And so we become less socially oriented. Why? Well, because I feel like crap and I don't want to talk to anyone when I feel like this. Yeah. And what are they going to say? When someone says, how are you doing? You're going to say, yeah, I'm fine. And you know, it's a lie, but you don't want to actually tell anyone how you're doing. Because if you do, what are they going to say back? Oh, 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 okay. I wonder who else I can talk to at this barbecue because you're not fine and therefore there's nothing to talk about. Uh, so so it, it just creates all of this confusion and an inability to have real conversations with people who can help. Do you think, Justin, in a few of the conversations I've had, especially predominantly with mothers, really, this idea of sort of getting two or three years into being a parent and sort of 
mourning the life that you had and having uncertainty be about the life that you are now in. You know, the the word I was used to me was identity crisis. You know, you sort of move from one phase to the other. And it's this idea of what I've noticed personally is I'm lacking that dopamine hit that I used to get from completing tasks, you know, finishing a, a particular job or completing like a workout or whatever, because everything is half complete as a parent because you get through something, but then it gets interrupted. And so that's where I've felt like I'm lacking that those, those wonderful dopamine hits of, oh, this is complete and done and put it away because it's a constant Never work ends. in progress. It's a never ending laundry. Goes forever. Yeah. Is that something that, that you found talking to other parents about this kind of lack of identity? So there's a couple of things that we can bounce off here, Charlie. The first thing is there's a there's a really ugly word. I can't stand the word, but it's a thing uh, called matrescence. I don't know that there's patrescence for the paternal side of things, but matrescence is basically this maternal identity crisis as you go through the process of becoming a mum. And I reckon we could make it up right now because things change, right? E- everything changes. I think, though, that if you want to live the previously un- uninterrupted and comfortable life that you were living prior to children, the best way to make that happen is to not have kids because once you have them, they will be an impediment in your life. There's no longer the same level of efficiency, the same level of productivity, the same level of achievement and accomplishment. Life is different. And to expect that it can be the same when you're now responsible for somebody who needs help sleeping and pooping and eating and everything in, it's just impractical. It's unrealistic unless you've got a relationship with your wife or partner where she has said, you know what, I'm going to take care of all of the child rearing stuff so that you can continue to live your comfortable life. And I don't know about you guys, but that's not how the real world works, <laughs> at least not in my experience. No. They're not in the 1950s anymore. <laughs> no, no, that's exactly it. But I'm, I'm coming out the other end, right? So I've got six kids. My youngest is now eight. I've got three adult children. Yeah, right. One in her late teens and another one who's sort of entering her teens, right? So I've got these two little ones, eight and 12, and then I've got three that are out and one that's almost out. And man, like, life is awesome. <laughs> I get up every morning, I have my runs and my rides and I go surfing and I, I've, I've got time to invest in my career again and, yeah. and the work that I do. And my wife and I go on dates all the time. Gonna, this, is, this is when bicycles start arriving around this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, You're right. Yeah. But the point that I'm making is if you, if you invest effectively, if you invest well, if you teach the kids and guide them and just love them and cherish them and recognize that this is a season, yeah. it will pass. In fact, when we look at research, it seems to show that there's this U-shaped curve of happiness. We're really happy when the kids are born and all of a sudden their happiness slides and it keeps on sliding until the kids get to about 16, at which point it hits rock bottom. And then for the next few years, it hovers around rock bottom until the kids move out of home around, I don't know, somewhere between 18 and 24, depending on how you do life. And all of a sudden your happiness skyrockets again. People who are in their 50s are much, much happier than people who are in their 30s and 40s. Why? Because they're financially in a different situation. The kids have started to move on, move up, move out, and you're getting that life back. But it's richer and it's yeah. deeper. It's more beautiful because you've gone through the sadness and the depression and the anxiety and you've gone through the heartache and the challenge and the problem and you've grown together 
as a family. Let's not forget it's amazing. Let's not forget when they when they smile at you or when they achieve something, it's the greatest thing ever. Oh, and it's the oh, no sh- dopamine that ever is comes <laughs> when anywhere. When they're asleep. That's, when that's, they're asleep. That's asleep. Oh, my God. That's the, the dichotomy that <laughs> blows my mind. Is like she'll be screaming at me and I'm like, what is this devil spawn? And then 10 minutes later she'll be asleep. I'm like, look at this angel. Yeah. She's perfect. It's amazing. <laughs> Justin, is there some, like, yeah. you're speaking about a quite a wide-angle view. Yeah. Keep your eyes on the prize, guys. But in the moment, if we are finding ourselves lashing out, getting short, being a little controlling, if we are finding ourselves, what's some interventions we can do there and then? Picking up the phone and organising time to see a doctor, definitely do that. But that might not happen until next week, two weeks, three weeks, depending on where you are in the country. What are some things that we can do today? So let me give you five tips on top of getting help because you, you really do, especially if we go back to Charlie's question about anxiety. If you're dealing with anxiety, depression, any kind of mental health stuff or even anger problems, you've got to go and talk to somebody. Honestly, you need to talk to someone. I, I cannot emphasize that enough. But let me give you five other real quick ones. Number one, there's a mantra that I made up, I don't know, when I had child number two or three and, and I realized that I was not coping at all. I was in so deep. And, and the mantra for me was calm and kind calm and kind. I just knew that I needed to keep saying it over and over and over again, especially when my child was creating the conditions where I did not want to be calm and kind. So Mm. work out a mantra that works for you and repeat it when your fuse is burning. It helps you to get your motives right. The focus is on connection rather than correction. For me, calm and kind just made all the difference in the world. Second idea is when you want to, like when you feel like you're about to blow, speak softly because what we do like you know what it's like you you start thinking faster and faster and faster high emotions low intelligence you don't think clearly you're not level and you're not balanced you think you're seeing things exactly as they are but you're not you've got a distorted view when you're angry and when you're losing it when that anxiety or whatever it is is pushing you too far so i would say if you can do anything speak softly because when we speak softly that actually has a calming influence on us it brings us back down. It's kind of like the ambos, right? Like the paramedics, when they're going to a, a scene of an accident, they never run. Mm. They just don't run. They're, they're trained not to run. Why? Because when you run, you become physiologically aroused. They walk. No matter how serious it is, they walk. Why? Because it keeps them level and balanced. So speaking mm. softly is another way to do that. Third idea, uh, you do this thing called psychological distancing. I love this concept. Psychological distancing is kind of this thing where you go, if I was talking to somebody who wasn't in this situation, and I was asking them for advice, what would they tell me? Or if I was giving advice to somebody who was in this situation, what would I tell them? And and you're kind of stepping outside. It's like this meta view. You're stepping outside, looking at it objectively, and you always give better advice to people when you're not in the situation yourself. Mm-hmm. And so try to step out of it and think, what, how, in fact, I've done this with my kids heaps. I, I'm losing the plot. I'm ready to flip out. And my wife, Kylie, will say to me, Justin, you're a parenting expert. If somebody was asking you what to do in this situation, what would you say? And I hate it when she says that because she's dead right. <laughs> Part of me is really happy that you lose your shit sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. But I, I become a better father. I become a better father because creating that psychological distance makes a shift. Um, My my fourth quick idea is adopt an inner mental mentor. I know that's a horrible tongue twister, but there's something amazing that happens when you just try to be like the person who always parents right. I've got a couple of people in my life who I just think are just the best parents ever, and I try to be like them. 
that's that's how I try to parent because they just get it right, and and I get it more right by trying to be like them than trying to remember a whole lot of steps. And um, I reckon the last thing is to do the opposite of what you actually want to do. So when your anxiety is high, when your depression's low, when you're ready to flip out, everything that you want to do in that moment is probably wrong. So if you just do the opposite, you're probably going to get much better results. <laughs> the George Costanza principle, just do the opposite and everything will work out. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're saying. There was, there was a time when my social anxiety was really bad and I just had to train myself. Like if I didn't want to go out to a party, that meant I had to go. And I just did. And when I got there, I was like, it's actually okay. Yeah. In fact, it's better than how frightening I thought it was back in my house. And so I, I know exactly what you're saying. Those five things are super, super helpful. Yeah, it's great. Really, really good things that you can do while you are waiting on uh, time to get in on a telehealth or, or, or speaking to a mental health professional. Justin, you are just incredible to speak to, and we're so grateful for it. I'm great, grateful you got six books, seven on the way. Need more of this. We need more of this, and thank you so much for doing the work you're doing. Uh, you can find all the information uh, that Justin's talking about. Dr. Justin Colson is at happyfamilies.com.au. Uh, check out his podcast called Happy Families. You're amazing, buddy. Great to talk to you, mate. Thanks again. Yeah, awesome to be with you. Thanks, Osha. Thanks, Charlie. Well, that about wraps it up. I'm so grateful every time we hear from Dr. Justin Colson, mate, because it, it really is like when you're a bit lost on a back road or something, and then Siri goes, continue on for two meters. Oh, thank God. I'm not, I'm not yeah. lost. That's good. He, he, he's very reassuring. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it was also like I, for people who maybe aren't as experienced dealing with their mental health, being able to differentiate between what is regular, yeah. normal, stay away from the cliff anxiety yeah. and what is something which needs a bit more attention. But, yeah. you know, just to reiterate what Justin said, like pick up the phone. Like yeah. if you need some help, just uh, see your GP, make that mental health plan. Mm. As uh, a card carrying uh, someone who has seen therapists for years, oh, it makes such a difference, you know. And having that professional yeah. as well, you might have the best friends in the world, you might have the best partner and the best family in the world, yeah. but there's something about having permission to talk yeah. with like just complete freedom that makes all the difference in the world. As someone once said to me about therapy the other day, often you arrive at this solution yourself, you just need permission to say it. Exactly right. Right. And he said two things that really struck with me. He said, calm and kind, whatever it sounds like for you, get on that. And also high emotions, low intelligence, mm. which meant that you make choices when your emotions are high that might not be the best choices. And as I'm 12 years sober and as my, um, my guy who kind of guides me through that journey has always told me, he goes, uh-huh, that's the best ideas you had. What did the best ideas get you? The best thinking you could possibly do when you thought you were being your smartest, when you thought you were being the most clever, what did they get you? Oh, divorced, unemployed, paying rent, and my savings in a foreign country. Think it's time for other people's <laughs> ideas? Actually, yeah, probably, mate, you're right. <laughs> so similarly, if you're finding yourself stuck, just be in acceptance. Like, well, this is the best thinking. This is me at my cleverest thinking and drawing on all mm. of everything that I know. I might need other ideas here because I, otherwise I can't figure yeah. this out. And that's okay. That's okay. I can't fix my car. People with better ideas than me can fix my car. Off they go. Similarly, I can't fix this. Someone with better ideas than me can go go fix it. But identifying is, is really good. And I think the other thing that I really enjoyed hearing today was um, I admire you for what you are, not what you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when in doubt, go to a Predator 2 one-liner. Quoting Gary Busey in Predator 2. Gary Busey. <laughs> Go to Gary Busey and just remember when the toddler's really losing it, so I admire you for what you are, not what you do. And just, just don't end up like Gary Busey. Just stop at point break. Don't go past point break. 
So it was pretty good. Hey, if anyone out there needs to get in touch with us, you can at askdadpod at gmail.com or you can find us on dadpodgram on Instagram. You can shoot us a message there. We'd love to hear from you. Always. And uh, until we speak next time, I think it's your turn to do this one, Charlie. Oh, don't touch that. <laughs>